You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, just got official word. Who's going to join us tomorrow on the show? Let me see how I could give you a hint here. I'm really excited because I want somebody who's going to tell stories and we're going to have fun with a certain sport. Now, if I said baseball. Harry Carey. No, but he, oh. he's dead. Oh, I, I thought it was like a, an ideal. Oh, no, no, no. The, this guy's oh, joining, us. joining us. Yeah, he is joining us. No. <laughs> I hadn't heard about this guest. Yeah, so Harry died. I thought it was just a fictitious. <laughs> yeah. Not to me, he didn't. Okay. Um, Bob Euchre. Brewers play-by-play voice for the last 50 years. Mr. Baseball himself, Bob Euchre, will join us on the program tomorrow. So excited about that. Uh, just saw where Vince Carter made it official. He is retiring. Wow. Was he 43? 42-43? One of three players ever to lead the league in all-star voting uh, for three straight seasons. Michael Jordan, Julius Irving, and Vince Carter. So he went 2000, 2001, 2002, 2004, leading the league in all-star votes. And he had a transformation with his game. He was one of the great leapers of all time. And then he became one of the great three-point shooters in NBA history. But Vince Carter, how many seasons did he play? Got like 22 seasons, 21? Yeah, 21 seasons. Yes, he... I think he, I just saw a thing where he's actually played in the NBA more years than he hasn't in his whole life. So like he's like spent like 22 years in the NBA and 21 years not in the NBA. I wanted him in the slam dunk contest. I, I, I really did. At that age to be in the slam dunk contest. And I don't want to see too many 40 year olds in a slam dunk contest, but Vince Carter, absolutely. And he's old enough to be uh, Trey Young's Dad, when you think about it, he's not his dad, but he's old enough to be his dad. All right, eight seven seven three DP show email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle with DP show. A few months ago, the idea of sports without fans seemed pretty radical, right? We were slowly getting used to it during the pandemic, but we've seen European soccer, the Premiership, uh, UFC, Korean baseball. Golf started without galleries. NASCARs had limited fans. NBA and NHL won't have a live audience. Baseball, it's probably going to be a team-by-team basis. The NFL is going to have fans, I guess. They just made a deal yesterday to sell advertising on the uh, first few rows of empty stands. And that brings us to college football. I was kind of surprised yesterday when I saw the Tennessee Athletic Director, Philip Fulmer, said... He plans for the volunteers to play in front of a full stadium. Not every college is being this aggressive, but you get the idea. Programs expect significant attendance. And you could argue no sport relies more on having fans than college football. And when we first you know, started to uh, dive into the pandemic and we were looking at football, I said, you're going to have tailgating. And I don't know how this is policed because Fans, if if they can't get in, want to get as close as they can to get in and still have the tailgating experience. It's hard to imagine 100,000 fans at a Tennessee game or anywhere else for that matter. 
Gene Smith, the Ohio State Athletic Director, talked about first it was 20,000 fans. Now maybe they're going to push it to 40 or 50,000 fans here. I wouldn't be more aggressive. I'd be less aggressive if I were any of these leagues now. Yeah, Paul. I don't think this is an accident that Tennessee football announces, specifically Tennessee. Not because of who they are, because of how the past 10 years and how tough it's been. They've had a lot of recruiting wins over the past year. If you notice, Tennessee football isn't back-back, but there's hope again. There's a lot of good recruits coming in, and I think they're trying to catch the wave of getting that fan base back and engaged. That's been, you know, they've always had a great fan base, but they've had mixed results in a whole lot of coaches the past decade. I think they're riding the wave, and, and this, this is not an accident that it's Tennessee announcing this. Well, let me see what happens in the state, because Philip Fulmer may, you know, pie in the sky, we'd love to have 100,000. I don't know of an athletic director who wouldn't want to have 100,000 fans in a stadium. Are you able to do it? But yeah, Tennessee certainly wants to showcase all of those recruits they're bringing in. Yes, Todd. When does optimism and being rah-rah as an athletic director or anyone that's a head of state for a sport become insensitive or just being totally unrealistic where you would make a statement like that? When I first saw it, I'm like, really? We're talking about maybe no fans or maybe spacing out fans and you're saying packed house. It just, I don't know, I was taken aback by that a little bit. It's going to be state by state, school by school, it feels like. And look, college football doesn't have a commissioner. I mean, they have a president, but he doesn't have any power over them. It's going to be the governors who are going to be deciding this, uh, athletic directors, presidents, chancellors, and it feels like it'll be school by school of who's coming back, how many fans you can have in the stands. But I would be surprised. I would take the under. If the over-under is 99,000 fans, I'm going to go under with the Tennessee Volunteers. you're going to win that bet. <laughs> I'm going to go under couple of phone calls in here. Uh, Luke in Alabama's back. Hi, Luke. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. Appreciate your time with call. I just wondered, you know, not if, but when y'all win the 2020 Emmy. Will McLovin try to throw an asterisk next to it? Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't hear Luke uh, clearly there, but thank you, Luke. He said, will there be an asterisk next to our Emmy if we win it this year because of the situation? No, because we would win it and it'd be based off last year. If we win it next year, so if we're doing, so 2020 would be, uh, I'll gladly take the asterisk if there is one. Yeah, see. Yeah, why would we get an asterisk? It's not like we had a shortened season or something. Everybody else was dealing with the same issues here. So, yes, McLevin. I do have an entire nation is killing me on Twitter right now for my Raptors take last hour. What was your Raptors take? That they get an asterisk for beating the depleted Warriors. Yeah, I don't know why you, why do you do that? I think most NBA fans are kind of with me. I hear that all over the place. That's why Rachel was so fired up about it, obviously, because there's strong opposition to that take. That, she wouldn't say it if most people didn't think it. <laughs> but if but, most people think it, then why are you getting killed on Twitter? These Canadians are really mean people, as we no, all No, they're know. not. They're great people. <laughs> no, I'm getting killed by the Toronto fan base. And you like, should. But I'm not getting killed by any other fan base. Everyone else like, yeah, you're probably right. Well, everybody is territorial, but the Raptors earned that. Stop. You're bitter because they beat the 76ers, yes. okay? So at least be honest with that. Be transparent, as we like to say. 
Yeah, I really don't like that team because they were so confounding last year. I don't know why. The only reason why, the only problem I have with the Raptors is Fred Van Vliet. It should be Fred Van Fleet. Yes. Easier for us. Yeah. And, you know, Fred's, you know, should think about us and change his last name. Because Fred Van Vliet is just, you know, he's fleet. He's fleet of foot. Fred Van Fleet would be a whole lot easier for us. Very selfish. That's the only problem I got with the Raptors. Yes, McLovin. It's funny. I was actually telling Paul the other day that that's the guy that scares me on the Raptors. Fred Van Vliet? Yeah, like why? He's unstoppable in the fourth quarter. Only against Philadelphia. He's, yeah. No, I know. He's, he, no, he's a good so. player. He's You're right, really though. The a Van good player. Vliet thing is. Van Vliet. Tough. Yes, Volley. He's one of those guys, though, you'll only discuss during the playoffs yes. with the NBA. <laughs> Van Vliet, you're like, oh, where was he all season? Was he hurt? He's injured? No, you just weren't paying attention well, to the Raptors. They won 68 games or whatever. Yeah, you wouldn't be tuning in to go, uh, hey, what time's the Raptors game? I want to watch Fred Van Vliet. Yes. Maybe. Is that like Sam Cassell and Mario Eli? Eli yeah. Eli. Yeah, those guys, you didn't hear about them all regular season. Then they're hitting big shots. Sam Cassell a little bit. Mario Ellie always in the postseason. Boris Diaw was a big guy you never yes. talked about during the regular yeah. season. Oh, man, he's the X Factor for the Spurs. <laughs> the, he, Boris Diaw, the X Factor for the Suns. We'll go all day on this. Um, you know I'm not a big fan of uh, LeVar Ball, but, you know, sometimes I like to give him a little airtime. And uh, you got uh, Lon- Lonzo and LaMelo's dad, and uh, Leangelo, don't forget about him. But he was on the Say Less podcast, and he was talking about his talented son, LaMelo, and could be the number one pick in the draft. Here is LeVar Ball on that possibility. That's the part I don't like about the Golden State. They got, you know, Clay and, and, and the other guys, and now you want to put Melo in that mix to say you got to follow these guys. Melo ain't no follower. It's just like, man, he don't need to do what they do. Let them do their thing. There's a reason you looking at my son. He's talented and can play the game. It ain't that hard. Dude, open pass it to him. You open and you, you've been working on your shot, shoot the ball. The fast pace is good. But don't be like, Melo got to wait his turn and wait two or three years to go by and talk about he got to learn from the veterans. Ain't about that. Can he play or not? <laughs> so now he's dictating where he wants his son to go play so he can go in and establish himself right away because he doesn't want to go in there and be second, third, fourth fiddle to all the players uh, on Golden State. He's a talented player. You know, might be the best player out of the family. You know, Lonzo is developing into a, a very good all-around player. LaMelo has a higher ceiling, it feels like, because first of all, he can shoot a little better. But uh, he's got size, athleticism, and uh, let him go to the Knicks. How, how would, uh, would LaVar... Uh, feel about that. Dr. James Naismith, LeVar Ball, feel about his son going to the New York Knicks. Because then he could go in and he, that could be his team. <laughs> go ahead. So that's on the Say Less podcast. Uh, Mike in Washington. Hey, Mike, what do you have for me? Hey, bud. Hey. Uh, deceptively fast, 6'2", hard, 185. Hard. Hey, I wanted to say kind of what Michael from uh, Florida was talking about. Uh, I think you guys do deserve it every year, and I work in the late afternoon, so I, I have the opportunity of getting to watch you guys every day. And the way you guys do the show, it almost makes me feel like I'm I'm right there with you. So I appreciate every single one of you guys and the guys behind the scenes doing all the Thank job. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Uh, um, so I wanted to say uh, what you kind of – 
Two things. Uh, what do you thought about? Uh, I know they got some work to do once it gets started, but uh, how you think the Portland Trailblazers are gonna are gonna rock when uh, when they get in and they have a chance to knock some teams off? And uh, also, if you, I don't know if you said it earlier on the show or not, but I was wondering who won between Seton and everybody yesterday, and if there's a balloon launcher on the way. Thank you. They had a friendly yesterday. They played golf and had a friendly. I don't know that anybody won. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I've, I've, I saw it firsthand yeah, last yeah. time. No one won that. They, uh, it was just Mario lost that. But yeah, they had a, they had a friendly yesterday. Uh, I saw this article. Uh, David Sampson, he used to be a baseball executive, McLovin. Yeah, he, and he's now with CBSSports.com. And he's got a podcast called Nothing Personal with David Sampson. And he's got a lot of opinions. And uh, he talked about the Lakers being able to work out privately. And uh, you have a billionaire who has a court that is actually, it, it is, it's the Staples Center, uh, basically, uh, the floor itself. And uh, they go there and work out. Uh, David Sampson talks about the severity of this, saying it's a violation of the NBA rules that you're not allowed to work out with your team during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Samson emphasizes the severity of this. If it turns out to be true, he defends his take by explaining the importance of an even playing field. He says the following. If you're the NBA, you've got to look into this. To me, this is as serious as PEDs. This is as serious as sign stealing by the Astros and the Red Sox and the Yankees and every other team. Now, before you take this as a bad take, let me explain why it's not. The whole point of PEDs and sign stealing and why it's an issue is that what leagues try to do is make sure there's a level playing field where the biggest differentiating factor is the talent of the athletes and the talent of the front office. So what David is saying is if the Lakers got together for a couple of practices, that somehow equates to the Astros stealing signs for an entire year or more, and winning a title. And also, if you use PEDs, that that is somehow equivalent to the Lakers with a secret practice where they got together. I think that's a little bit of a stretch there by David. But his job was to get my attention. And, uh, and he did. So I, I, I'm sure that it's a violation of rules with what the Lakers are doing. I don't know if other teams are doing it. You know why it's a big deal? Because LeBron is the one doing it. If the Blazers were doing this, would David Sampson have written an article or said this on his podcast? The answer is no. It just comes down to LeBron. Oh, my God, LeBron's getting, he's getting an advantage. That's just like Barry Bonds using steroids. It's 73 home runs for the Astros to win a World Series time. No, it's not. And I'm guessing there are other teams who are working out privately. <laughs> Just guessing. <laughs> and you know what? You better be. Yeah, Paul. You, you know, the NFL and the NBA both have rules about private workouts and trying not to do any until it's official. Do you think, guys, and I'm being rhetorical almost here, that like Brady and LeBron know, what are they going to do? They're not going to suspend me. They won't. They can't suspend me. I bring in the dough. LeBron knows he can have 10 private workouts and the NBA can publicly address it or call him publicly, but personally, but he's not going to stop him because they're not going to suspend him. What are they going to do? Find the organization a million dollars? Super. Yeah. 
And, and Brady knows that he doesn't have time on his side. And he's going to take the hit. Uh, you may not like it. The leagues may not like it. You may not like the look of it. But these players know that they're measured by championships. And they had this opportunity. LeBron working out? Uh, okay. Privately? Okay. Brady's not even doing it privately. You've got... You know, helicopters going over, watching where he's working out. So, I if, if this wasn't LeBron or Tom Brady, then it wouldn't be an issue. Yes, McLovin. Bucks had some positive tests, too. So, they're getting a lot of... It is a little bit... It does feel like Brady... Does it feel like he's flaunting the rules a little bit? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Which, I mean, I, I assume he'd prefer this was private. I don't think he likes helicopters above you. No. Obviously. No. I mean, you had media hanging out in, you know, the bushes and trees when he first showed up. Uh, no, it's no. It, I, I understand why there'd be concern here. But if, if then do something about it. If the NFL has a problem, then do something. If the NBA has a problem, then do something. But you're going to have to do it to everybody else. You can't pick and choose and say, the Lakers are getting an unfair advantage because I don't think just the Lakers are working out together. It's just we care more about the Lakers, and that's the big reason why this is a topic. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, he is the caddy for Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson just pulled out of uh, the Greater Hartford Open. And, uh, well, I, I, I'm going to talk to Paul Tesori because he's caddied for a long time. He was VJ Singh's caddy. I just want to know what the guidelines are, the new rules are, and how concerned is he, you know, that the PGA Tour could uh, get shut down here. So he'll join us coming up. We'll take a break. More phone calls as well here. Bob Euchre will join us coming up tomorrow at this time. It'll be fun just to talk baseball and have some stories and have some fun. 19 after the hour, this is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. More phone calls coming up. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Talked about a lot of things today. Uh, we saw yesterday PGA Tour taking some action. Uh, what's happened in uh, the Greater Hartford Open, where you've had some players and caddies who have uh, left the tournament, and that includes Webb Simpson, and his caddy is uh, Paul Tesori, who joins us now on the program. Paul, thanks for joining us. So what happened? How long were you in Hartford, and when did you realize that uh, your week was going to end uh, a little sooner than you expected? Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so flew up Monday afternoon. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win uh, last week on the PGA Tour in Hilton Head and uh, came home for half a day and flew up and Tuesday was a very, very normal day. Uh, as the day progressed, you started to hear some rumblings of some tests that had maybe come back not the way we had hoped. And the first one we had heard was Cameron Champ, a young 26-year-old on tour, bomber, um, who had tested positive. Um, and so he was out of the tournament. And then as, as the day kind of progressed, we're standing on the putting green, and we had heard some other rumors about that there, there was another positive test. And as we're sitting there, Webb gets a phone call and finds out someone in his family had tested positive for COVID-19. And so, you know, there we are on the putting green. Obviously, we've got a lot of people around. Immediately, we start going into a different mode as far as Weber and I. 
trying to decide, okay, what do I need to do instantly right now to while we decide? So we, we left the putting green. We went and contacted the PGA Tour and started to have discussions with them. What's the protocol at this point going forward? Obviously, Webb had been exposed because he's been with his daughter during the this, this significant amount of time. Um, and it's impossible to know. Webb took a test Tuesday and Wednesday morning, negative on both of them. But he just felt like to, to protect the tournament and to make sure more than anything, Webb's fifth in the world right now. is leading the FedEx Cup. And the last thing you want, I think, is kind of one of those names taking, even though it's a small chance, taking a chance of uh, infecting anybody else. So he made the decision to withdraw. When did you get tested? So we test if, uh, starting this week. Well, we're, we're tested every day when you come in. So I was tested Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, uh, me personally. Same with Weber, Tuesday and Wednesday. Generally, all you are is when you come in and you register. If that's on a, a Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, you're tested. And then you're only tested again when you're leaving the golf tournament to go on the charter, which would be a Saturday. Um, I know Commissioner Monahan yesterday talked about we're going to change that a little bit. We're going to up it up at least one more test per week just to make sure that we keep everybody safe. How is your job different with these new rules? <laughs> There's a lot of things that are different. Uh, the older we get, we're all creatures of habit. And so, so many things are just very natural to you, whether it's the, the handshake in golf is, you know, really famous. We see it in basketball and other sports as well, but the handshake, that's obviously gone. But, you know, the tour doesn't want us even fist bumping, just no contact if you can. And so I think that's the number one. As far as caddy player, it's tough. Uh, we try to stay six feet apart by keeping the golf bag in between us, but I read greens with Webb. So there's several occasions where I'm going to be inside that six foot zone, not for long periods of time, probably between five and 10 seconds. But, you know, uh, as far as that's concerned, he's been tested. I've been tested. We're clean and we're not going outside that bubble at all during the week. And I think that's the big part that the tour is really battling right now is we meaning caddies and players we have to do our job and it's getting better each week the first week was not very good and we got some pretty stern warnings from the tour guys we have to do this well we get the world watching us but also we don't want to shut down the second week but now guys are starting a little scared we've had four positive tests and we've done 2800 tests so four still a very very low number but Guys are seeing the ramifications now of what's happening. Number four ranked player in the world, Brooke Tepka, has to go home. Fifth ranked player in the world, Webb Simpson, has to go home. And, you know, that might just be the start of something to scare the guys enough to make sure they stay safe. He's Webb Simpson's caddy, Paul Tesori, who joins us on the program. Could players carry their own bags at some point here? So I'm going to say no. I'm going to make fun of the players first as I do. <laughs> um, you know, definitely golf is a little cooler than it used to be at one point. We've got some pretty pretty talented athletes playing golf now. Like, this is the Tiger generation that we see. you got these kids coming out 6'3", six, 6'4", six, big broad shoulders. So the answer is they could. Um, the answer from this guy staring at my nice lake here in the backyard that I have is I hope not because Webb's great play, BJ's great play, uh, has paid for a lot of the stuff that I'm sitting at right now. So I hope not. I don't think it will come to that. Again, I always have to say if, if we do our job. Obviously, if Commissioner Monaghan's sitting back and he's looking at week after week after week, if he's watching players and caddies a foot from each other, then he may be rushed to a decision that, like, you know, I have to stop that for a little while. But the players would not do a great job, and they would have nobody to blame. 
You know, if they hit a bad shot, the first thing you do is be like, are you? Oh, there's nobody there. There's nobody there to blame. So, I always love uh, when they miss a putt. They always look at the caddy. It's the same look every time it's this one. <laughs> so, um, but I, I do not think we will see that. And I, I, I got to be honest with you, Dan, I hope it doesn't come to that. I was also wondering about now's the time to play against Tiger Woods because guys talk about the galleries that surround Tiger and it it's just something you can't prepare for. Like there's no gallery. How weird is it that there's there's no response, no reaction, no nothing? Silence. It's, complete, it's completely strange. At Hilton Head, I watched uh, the number one player in the world, Rory McIlroy, make a 35-footer on his last hole of the day. And nothing. <laughs> Not a clap from anybody. Not one <laughs> clap from media, obviously, or anybody else around. And that was strange. And then coming down the stretch on Sunday at Hilton Head, I think one thing you saw is – for the first time in my life, I've never seen so many different players make so many birdies down the stretch. There was seven to nine guys that were just pouring in putts from everywhere, hitting it close. And I do think the fans have a little bit to do with it. I talked to Webb. Webb said he, said he felt the same. Um, while I understand him meaning that, I, I do think there's a difference if you're coming down the last three holes with 50,000 people yelling and screaming versus no one. There has to be a little bit less of a physical response to that, and I think we saw that by the caliber play down the stretch last week. What's your favorite Tiger Woods story? Oh, I got a bunch of them. Um, you know, I'm the Tiger Who guy that wore the stupid hat, and so he had a field day with me. <laughs> Wait, explain that. Explain that. Be- yes, okay. Yeah, okay. So back in, two, back in 2000, <laughs> I'm working my third event as a caddy. I'm working for VJ Singh, and VJ was the only guy that um, held back Tiger from winning the Grand Slam that year. VJ won the Masters. Tiger won the next three. Playing the President's Cup. We've played against Tiger every match. Um, the United States team is blowing out the international team. I was with Vige on the international team. And so we get paired with Tiger the last day. Ball guys have some hats that say Tiger who? I think it's hilarious. VJ thinks it's hilarious. We wear it. We're on the fourth hole, and VJ has to two putt for nine feet. And there's crickets. You hear nothing. And you look over there on the side, and Tiger's standing like this with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face. So BJ puts it down to it's hanging over the hole. I'm not embellishing the hanging over the hole. If we sit there long enough, it would have gone in. We hear crickets again. We look back over, and he's still got his arms crossed in the scowl. And Tiger loves the story now, so we're definitely not ruining any kind of inside scoop. And BJ looked at me and goes, I don't think he likes the hat. Um, so as we tap it in from a millimeter away for par to win the hole to go two up, Tiger had not played well that week. Nota Begay had covered him all week. And on the next hole, Tiger turned a little more, hit about a 305-yard, one-yard draw, seven under on his last 13. <laughs> and so my favorite part of the story is that Tiger and I had never really talked about it. Um, I ended up working for Sean O'Hare, played a lot of practice rounds with him, but I was working for Weber in 2011, and Tiger was walking by, and I just turned to Weber. I was like, you know, it's weird. I still feel like there's just that little something there with him and I, and I wish there wasn't. It was meant as a joke, not disrespect. And he walked by. I said, what's up, Tiger Who? He said, what's up, two and one? (laughs) (laughs) He walked about another 20 yards. He turned around with that big grin that we've gotten used to seeing, and he laughed. But you have to think about that. He probably thought of two and one every time he saw me because there was no time lapse between when I said – What's up, Tiger Who and two and one? And then this year at the President's Cup for Picture Day, he had everybody wear Paul Who on the back and, <laughs> and two and one to uh, to pay me back. So 
Um, that's probably my favorite. I have got a ton of them. He has, uh, he's both helped me build nice houses and places to live. And he's also taken a lot out of my pocket <laughs> at the same time. So, uh, he's, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we all as fans get to see the new Tiger Woods. You know, I think we're seeing the Tiger Woods after obviously golf humbled him a little bit, but also with kids now, kids change all of us. So it's great to see how joyful he is now on the golf course. Most famous person you've either caddied for or played golf with. So definitely President Clinton when he was in office, um, he gave the Milosevic indictment trial from the front gate at White Oak Plantation, and we played with him five straight days. Um, it was some of the best times I had had in my entire life. Uh, you could give him crap, and he loved it. He loved the more junk you talked to him, the better he liked it. So that would be it. And then next would probably be playing with Michael Jordan. I was able, uh, fortunate enough to play nine holes with him and and just uh, ask a lot of stories. And he took a little money from me at the end of it, and that was the set of that. Well, it feels like you have to give him money to get the story. <laughs> right? Because That might be it. Yeah. You're, might be a, yeah. <laughs> Paul, you paid for those stories, <laughs> just, so, just so you know. Hey, before I let you go, um, I know that you have the uh, Tesori Family Foundation, and it's uh, certainly important and close to your heart. And I uh, wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Yeah, thank you. I'll just keep it brief. But yeah, our foundation, we started in 2010. Uh, we've uh, been able to give back a little over one and a half million to the local communities and a little bit throughout the country as well. Uh, we put on these all-star kids clinics for kids with special needs, uh, 25 kids, one-on-one instruction. So check us out, TesoriFamilyFoundation.org. And any way you can help us, we welcome it. Thanks for joining us on short notice. And uh, our best to Webb, who... Uh you know, once he figured out putting again, he's uh, amazing. <laughs> yes. And uh, congrats really on the win at, uh, at Hilton Head. Dan, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Everybody stay safe. That's uh, Paul Tesori. He's uh, Webb Simpson's caddy. All right, uh, we'll get some phone calls in here. Uh, Fritzy, good job in tracking down Paul. He was very good. Uh, love those stories. And these guys are always careful when they tell a story about Tiger. It's like when you tell a story about Michael Jordan because they hear it and they don't forget. They never forget. If you have something or you, you know, you got one up on them, these guys are always, players are still nervous telling stories about Michael Jordan. And players aren't going to say anything about Tiger or make fun of Tiger because Tiger's still playing at a very high level. But that's probably, you say it privately, you're not going to say too many of those publicly. Uh, let me see. Jason in Nebraska. Hi, Jason. What do you have for me today? Hey, Danny and the Danettes. Hey, Jason. Um, Real quick, Danny, just want to tell you excellent interview with uh, Wallace yesterday, or Bubba Wallace. Um, and the reason I'm calling is to um, let you know that I was able to finally finish uh, Breaking Bad. And now that I've watched Ozark and Breaking Bad, uh, I've got a message for men. If you're going to start an empire, you probably don't want to get married or have kids. Um, you know, it wasn't the cartel that I was scared of. It was, it was the women in both those series. It's crazy. Uh, and real quick, if I could just add, um, there was two scenes that were awesome in Breaking Bad. Uh, the first one is where Walt he uh, takes a uh, he goes to the bathroom in his uh, kitchen sink. Thought that was great. And uh, the second one was where it was an inter- interesting thing where he uh, he's uh, rolling his barrel of cash up to the uh, Native American and he uh, he asks him, "Can I buy the truck?" And the Native American says, "It's not for sale." Just thought that was great. All right. Well, thank you, Jason. I'm glad you enjoyed uh, Breaking Bad. I, I'm assuming there's another season of Better Call Saul because I'm looking forward to watching Breaking Bad again after watching Better Call Saul. And if you get an opportunity, I never thought I would say that, that Better Call Saul is 
inching closer to breaking bad level. You seem like you're about to say something there. No, no, not yet. But Bob Odenkirk is, you know, it, it's just they're, they're great characters because you're seeing these characters before they go into breaking bad and you get the backstory on them. Jeff in Detroit is back. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? What up, though? What up, though? Listen, um, just wanted to comment real quick about Martha passing off the Lions uh, organization to her her, uh, daughter, Sheila. My question to you is this. Imagine being Steve waking up and your wife now owns a team. Do you have your office already in there? Do you uh, channel your inner Peter King and Mike Florio and just, you know, Put draft profiles on her pillow. <laughs> no, no, see, see, that's the problem. Thank you, Jeff. It's the people who aren't knowledgeable, and then they get power, and then they, then they get involved in the process there. That's where it gets dangerous. Owners and their families, and then all of a sudden you're going to take over, and therefore, well, you've got to be as knowledgeable as your dad, and that's not usually the case. Uh, Bob in California. Hi, Bob. What do you have for me today? Good morning, Dan, out uh, here in Clovis, California. Dan, you've been to Knoxville numerous times when the University of Tennessee plays there in Neyland Stadium. They they start partying on Wednesday, bringing in probably 30,000, 35,000 people just to come in and tailgate. Where are they going to put those people plus the 111,000 people that go to Neyland Stadium? And you know, like you probably have flown in and out of uh, Knoxville Airport. That place is a zoo. So where are we going to put all the people? I have no idea. I have no idea, Bob. And, you know, sometimes you feel like you're just, you know, shouting into a a canyon. Because just, just logically speaking, when you start to look at these scenarios, you go, how are you going to be able to pull that off? Because I'm sure people in Knoxville are going, yeah, our AD says, Philip Fulmer, we're going to have 100,000 people. Okay. I mean, good luck with it. If you get it, I'm going to take the under. Joe in Oregon joins us. Hi, Joe. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. Uh, out here at Reedy Creek Golf Course. Uh, just setting the course up this morning. Nice. Hey, um, I think I think the Lakers are not practicing at that billionaire's house. I think they found out that a couple players tested positive. And they're all quarantining together, drinking off the same cups, eating off the same plates, and using <laughs> one bathroom. Get everyone immune to the virus so that when they start playing, there's no worry of, of any new infections. I, I know that you're sort of kidding, Joe, but there's part of you that's not, and I'm right there with you. Thank you for the phone call. Yeah, I wondered about that. You know, when you see these guys who are testing positive now, I... Is How strange is it to look at this and reason? Is it more of an advantage if your players are testing positive now? Right? I mean, you, you're not hoping for it, but there's a benefit to this. You know, you're hoping everybody's asymptomatic or nobody gets seriously ill with this. But if you're starting five is already tested through this, got the antibodies or whatever it might be, It's an advantage. Take a break. Last call for phone calls. What we learn, what's in store tomorrow. We'll close up shop after this on the Dan Patrick Show. 
Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Show flew by. Chris Sims was good first hour with his top 40 quarterbacks. Rachel Nichols. ESPN's The Jump was good. Paul Tesori, the caddy from Webb Simpson. He was good as well. A lot of fun. Bob Euchre will join us on the program tomorrow. Mr. Baseball. We talk, well, uh, just baseball stories. Something fun to talk about instead of everything else. It's I, I'm like the bearer of bad news. You know, you, you, you show up at work and you go, God, what, what, anything positive today? And I'm not searching out anything like this. It's just... You're trying to give information, move a story along, have a guest, but I, I'm not rooting for it. I'd love to be able to talk about some other things, positive things. Doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of that going on. We'll have this day in sports history. Final results of the poll question, McLovin. Okay, hour three was, would you rather be a pro golfer who's just hanging on or a caddy for a top golfer and you get the same salary for both guys? 62% wanted to be the hanging on golfer instead of the caddy. Yeah, I'd rather be the golfer. Paul Tesori seemed to have a nice life, though. He kind of swayed me a little bit. Yeah, but he's not, his golfer is not just hanging on. He's got a, the guy who's fifth in the world. Yeah, you get the, you get the caddy gets a good golfer. The, it's compared, so you're a caddy to a great golfer or just a good golfer? I mean, a hang, hanging on golfer. Yeah, Paul. Your golf career could be a, a middling pro who never wins anything, but stays on the tour for 20 years and struggles, but makes good bank. Three, let's say 300 grand. Or a high-end caddy like Paul or like Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson caddy where you also make 300. I'm just throwing that number in. And you, ne- you don't have the stress of you know, actually competing as much. I'd rather be the golfer. If you can spend 15 or 20 years on tour, you'll do well. I mean, there are guys who just they finish top 10. They don't necessarily win. They make great money. And you make so much money off your sponsors as well. Uh, Dave in Oregon. Or no, Dave in California. Hi, Dave. What do you have for me? Well, Dan, I have a question. So far, let's say none of the none of the name NBA players, big name players, have tested positive for Corona. What do you think the NBA would do if, uh, say, all of a sudden LeBron, the Greek Freak, James Harden, your two or three other big name players suddenly tested positive? Would they then suddenly cancel the season? No, they won't. Don't see it, Dave. It goes back to you want to have stars, but this is about completing the season and the amount of money that's at stake here. If a, if a team got wiped out here, then that might be different, but it just feels like they're going to get this season in. No matter what, they're getting this season in. This day in sports history, Paul. Dan, a little twist now because it's been hijacked in four different places. This day in his sports history, we'll have a quiz with it. In 1918, Babe Ruth became the second American League player to hit a home run in four consecutive games. Actually, I couldn't find the answer to that one. I looked around, couldn't find it. 1985, ABC's Monday Night Football began with a new lineup. The trio was, anyone? ABC's Monday Night Football broadcasting booth. Didn't last a long time. 85. 85, yes, I'm sorry. 85. Frank Gifford is the hint with two analysts. Yes, McLovin. Is that OJ and Namath? That's correct. OJ Simpson and Joe Namath in 85. 2003, Todd McFarlane bought Barry Bonds 73 home run balls at auction for closest to the hole. How much did he pay for it? 500. 517,000. Dan, good job for you. 
And that's this day in sports history. Quiz. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, Todd McFarlane spent, what, $3 million on McGuire's 70th home run ball. <laughs> I think it's worth about two hundred to $300,000, according to estimates there. Ouch. That's not a good return. You know, it's tricky with memorabilia. And I see guys who invest in things all the time. It, it feels like if something, you, you got to have that game used, game worn, whatever that is, that just, you know, you see grass stains on a, a jersey. Those, those things resonate. You can have a jersey. Um, I have a, a, a signed newspaper from uh, the Augusta newspaper when Tiger won his first uh, Masters. And uh, I think that might have been when he had fluff uh, as his caddy, and fluff got that for me. Fluff came in to do a ESPN Sports Center commercial, and he brought Tiger's clubs in with him. And I think Tiger got upset about that because we didn't realize that Tiger's caddy was bringing Tiger's clubs in. And I said, so I pick up a six iron. <laughs> so I grab the six iron. Of course you do. And I and I go, is this like is this a a true six iron? And, and he said, yeah, I mean, Tiger's six iron. I said, is his six iron just like mine? He goes, yes, it's what he does with his six iron that's different than what you do with your six iron. Because they de-loft that club. His six iron is probably a four iron. You know, he'll, he'll hit a, a six iron. You go, how did he hit it 220 yards? Because they de-loft it, and then you compress the ball, and then you're able to hit it even further. Just a little golf 101. I can't do it, but I know when others do that. Uh, let's go around this room and find out what we learned on the program. Todd? Some sharp baseball minds are high on the Tampa Bay Rays with their rotation in this short season coming up. Yeah, I've heard that from Buster Olney and Tom Berducci. Uh, they, they, they like the, the Rays. they got a deep pitching staff. McLovin, what did you learn today? That the country of Canada, not quite as nice as you thought they were when you ripped their <laughs> Raptors. Seton O'Connor. Chris Sims doesn't like any of us. Oh, he got all sensitive. <laughs> you guys are piling on his quarterback list. He's like, oh, well, okay, well, I don't like any of you. He's guys. the best, man. Good sense of humor. Paulie, what'd you learn? Shocker that Rachel Nichols is the one who swears on today's show, not Chris Sims. Yeah, Sims has dropped an F-bomb before. What did I learn, Todd? Chris Sims has Cam Newton currently not on any team, ranked as the 10th best quarterback. <laughs> uh, what we learned brought to you by BuyRaycon.com, the wireless earbuds, the way to go. Get 15% off your BuyRaycon.com slash Patrick. That's BuyRaycon.com slash Patrick. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on the Dan Patrick Show.